Welcome everybody back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and of course, I have my co-host, Matt, here with me. The New York Jets, believe it or not, are coming off an incredible upset win over the Philadelphia Eagles 20-14 to at home in a game that neither of us, Matt, thought that they were going to win or would need you know, a really perfect game from themselves or a bad game from the Eagles in order to win. And what we saw was just Jets playing their style of football keeping the game close, the offense struggling in the red zone again, but not being completely stifled, the defense giving up their, you know, their couple of points early in the game and then pitching a shutout in the second half, creating turnovers, shining in the biggest moments and finding a way to knock off a 5 and 0 team, a team that was just in the Super Bowl a year ago, a team that we both saw based on the metrics in our own evaluations that we thought the Jets had a really, really tough matchup going against, and it didn't seem to matter one bit. The Jets never quit. You're down your two starting corners and Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed. You lose multiple players on the offensive line. Elijah Vera Tucker goes out in Denver. Um, Joe Titman goes down with a thigh injury. You have Wes Schweitzer come in to replace it right guard. All of these other problems happen, and you still find a way to beat the Eagles and beat them by not a couple of points, six points, one score game, yes, but not like a, it did not take a last second miracle field goal for the Jets to win this game, and their defense sealed it at the end like they had done for the rest of the second half. You got to be really encouraged by this team going into the bye. Matt, what was, in your opinion, the most encouraging sign from this team overall? Uh, I'm going to say the fact you mentioned it with our two starting uh, cornerbacks, both of them who have Pro Bowl potential uh, and probably should be going to the Pro Bowl at the end of the season, are out. And what does our our defense do? They just they next guy up. We got Brees Hall, uh, who uh, had a nice game last week. He's in. Uh, you've got I, I don't even remember Craig James. Is that his name? <laughs> I believe it's Craig, Craig James, James. Was it, another one was brought up uh, off the practice squad. And these guys just didn't didn't skip a beat. Like they from the get go, they're like, "We know what our job is, and we're going to go do it." And that just speaks volumes to the coaching job of Ulbrich and, and Solid getting these guys ready for this game, for a game that nobody, like you said, that we definitely didn't have them winning. We were content going into the bye two and four. This game was just like, all right, let's let's see what we can evaluate. And go into the bye and and see where we are and and come out the other side with an easier schedule and and cause some havoc. But no, they just came out like, well, no, we're winning this game. We're home. This is a home game for us. Uh, we're not going to let Philly just come in and and trounce us on our own field. They took it to them from the get go, and it was impressive to see uh, the defense just light it up, playing and play out. And just keep the pressure on them. They they didn't take the, their foot off the gas, especially in the second half. And that's becoming quite the story. The Jets' defense in the second half. Uh, we're talking about teams like the Bills. You got teams like the the Chiefs. You got teams like Denver. You got teams uh, like the Eagles. All these these teams have arguably very good offenses and very good quarterbacks and our defense is able to just blank them in the second half. I think in total, they've given up 13 points in the second half. That is incredibly impressive. They, they, our team is the king of halftime adjustments when it comes to defense. And I think going forward, if they can just, you know, translate what, they do in halftime into a maybe a, a functional game plan in the beginning. Uh, it might put us in some some better positions going forward, where we're not spotting teams maybe seventeen points uh, on us in the first half, like we did against the Chiefs, and we allow our defense to play with the lead because when they have a lead, they just pin their ears back and they attack, 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 and when they smell blood. They all feed off of it. Everybody from the defensive line to the secondary, they all smell that blood and they all want a taste of it and they all want the ball. And 
it's things start to stack up sacks, pressures, tip balls, interceptions, fumbles, fumble recoveries. They all seem to like find each other in bunches. And it's when they're able to do what they want to do. And they were able to do that in the second half of this game. And it, it, it showed wonders in, in the result. Yeah. Um, I completely agree. And and the first thing I want to talk about with this defense is, like you mentioned, the difference in the second half. And I, I really want to get into this and analyze it because I think it's in, incredibly fascinating. And not to take any credit away from this defensive staff, from the players, from their ability to adjust and change what they're doing and react to what's happening and make a change in the moment, in the locker room, on the sideline, etc., I also think it's important to realize the context of the whole situation and how that they can get better going forward at preventing those quick lapses and those early, you know, points allowed and the the random, you know, first offensive drive touchdowns that we've seen a couple of times so far that really get them behind the eight ball. I think you have to remember that the first 15 to 20 plays for any offensive team in the NFL are scripted plays. And this is the order of what you've been practicing. These are the looks you're expecting to get. This is the team you've been studying against. This is how you plan to attack them right away. These are your bread and butter scripted plays. After you get through those first 15 or 20 plays, that's when you start to have to find some other different things within your playbook. You either have to find other ways to make those scripted plays you want to run work. You have to find different plays that the defense hasn't seen and allow them to adjust. And you've kind of shown your hand a little bit. And once that happens, the Jets defense goes into a different mode where all they need to see is, okay, this is your plan of attack. This is what you're going to do. This is what you saw on film that you think we're going to try and do. So now we're going to take that away. What else you got? And they go full, full sale, full send, whatever you want to call it, to taking away the offense's initial game plan, where if they're getting beat by screens and quick passes underneath to start the game, they're going to be flying to the ball and playing really up and tight and not driving on, you know, at driving on anything they can underneath and not backpedaling to try and take away those um, take away those short passes. If they're getting beaten in the run game, they're going to start bringing their safeties down. They're going to have Quincy get closer into the gaps and have him have free reign to shoot a gap rather than worry about playing play action and take you that you know worrying about the pass they're going to take away anything that they can that they see the offense say okay this is our script this is what we try and do this is how we want to attack you and they're so talented overall that when you as an offense are playing the catch-up game yourself and your script is taken away and you have to adjust and you have to find another way to win that's not the way you've been practicing to win all week then it becomes a little bit more of an even game and the talent on this defense really shines. So I'm I, all the credit in the world, in my opinion, has to go to Jeff Ulrich. Robert Sala, as well as the head coach and a defensive mind, I'm sure he is in there helping, but Jeff Ulrich runs this defense. It is his defense more so than I think it is Robert Sala's defense right now. And the ability to have the confidence in your team, to know that this is the group of guys you've had for three years now, for the most part, most of them have been there the entire time, if not close to it. To have a group of guys you trust, that you know know your system, that you know fully understand what's expected on any given play, that fully understand all the rules and the pass-offs and you know all of the techniques that you're wanting and how players are going to feed off each other and react, that players that know each other well enough to have that unspoken relationship where they see one of their guys doing something, they know what's happening in their brains. Now you have the freedom as a defensive coordinator to start getting wacky. Now you have the freedom to mess things around and make it hard for an offense to understand what you're doing. And I think there's no better example of that than arguably the game ceiling interception from Tony Adams on Jalen Hurts in the fourth quarter that sealed the Jets win. Uh, and gave them a late lead a couple of plays later when Brees Hall ran it in for a touchdown. You have Tony Adams, who's a safety, lined up in what appears to be man coverage over the running back, faking like he's blitzing in the B-gap. You have Quincy Williams, far out in a wide nine, in a stand-up rush, rush position off the outside of the left tackle, looking like he's coming on a blitz. All indications, if you're Jalen Hurts, are going okay, I believe at this point it was third down, if not fourth down. You have one opportunity to make a play. Third and long. Thank you. Uh, 
So it's third and long. You know a pass is coming. You know the Jets' defense when they get into a third and long that they like to blitz every now and again, that they want to send heat. They know, you know, they don't want to give you time to throw, and they know their cornerbacks are down in the secondary and they're playing guys who were picked up off the practice squad starting in a game against A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Blitz could certainly seem likely. What happens on third and long? Tony Adams and Quincy Williams drop out of their blitzes. Bracket, Dallas Goddard in the middle of the field with Quincy to his left and Tony Adams to his right. Jalen Hurts stares it down, isn't expecting the change in coverage, was expecting man coverage, if anything else, and now he's seeing guys that he thought were blitzing drop out at its zone, and he's confused, and he hitches. He stares down Goddard and throws a pass that had no business being thrown. Tony Adams picks it off, runs it back inside the you know 10-yard line, first and gold Jets. Brees Hall scores one play later. That type of trust, that type of exotic look, that type of intention from the defense to not be the one getting the i don't know how i explain this as a defense you can't be the first uh the unit that isn't setting the tone you want the offense to react to what you're doing you want to be the aggressor you want to take away what the offense is trying to do and say this is our game you are going to dick we are dictating the game not you if the offense knows the defense is going to be in the same look and static. They can choose to run what they know is going to work over and over until the defense adjusts and stop it. That's the offense dictating the game. As a defense, when you can fake a blitz like the Jets did, force a quarterback into a bad throw, pick the ball off and get it inside the 10, go up by uh, six points late in the game, that is how you dictate the game on defense. And the fact that Jeff Ulbrich had the confidence in his team with all of his players that he had on the bench and out not playing in this game, very, very crucial players to go ahead and do it anyway. And it paid off. That's I could not think highly more highly of Jeff Ulbrich after this week, give it another year. Maybe if, if any longer than that, I'll be surprised. I think this guy's going to be a head coach real soon. Yeah, I, I can definitely see it. He's got the personality. He's got the leadership skills uh, and he's got the, the X's and O's behind him and the ability to adjust. Uh, and the ability to get a team ready, even when the odds are against them, like they were against the Eagles this week. Uh, I, I saw some all 22 footage of our secondary and how in sync they were handing off uh, routes and, 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 and jumping on passes and, and closing. Uh, and, and it was just so impressive to watch them at work and not really skipping a beat at all it, it it didn't matter that it was that it was a haul in there it didn't matter that it was uh craig james it, it didn't matter at all they were still flowing very well like a very well-oiled machine and it was just so impressive and if we can do that with with when we're missing some of our top talent then when we have everybody full strength there's really no excuse for us to be able to to say, oh, well, they have more talent than us. I think there's not a single team in the league that can say they have more talent than us on offense than that can't match up against our defense. They can take no. on anybody, and they've already shown that against some of the best offenses in the league, with the Chiefs and the Eagles and the Bills, even the Bills. So. If they can keep doing this on a week-in, week-out basis, we're going to be in every single game. There's not a game I don't see us going to be in. Other than that, that Cowboy game, which hopefully was just an anomaly, and so far it seems like it was. We have a nice six-game sample size, and that it was the only one where it looked like we were outmatched everywhere on the field. But since then, it, they've turned it on. It's like a completely different team, and it's a privilege to see it in action. We all saw Rodgers go down and, and all the pain and suffering we felt in, in the, the weeks after that, and it just seems like they've bounced back in a way that I didn't see them bouncing back, <laughs> where not only are they playing with heart and with the will to, to win, but they're thriving. They are using the energy from each other to build on it and to stack performances that are impressive on offense and defense. 
especially defense, but also on offense. And it's it's great to see because we all thought it was a lost season. And now you also have like whispers of, of Rodgers coming back late in the season, whether that's all full or, or, or not. That's yet to be seen. But there's an energy right now. And I'm starting to feel it. I'm sure you're feeling it as well. And it, I hope they feed off of it and they come out of the bye uh, ready to eat. Yeah, that's got to be the number one challenge. I mean, there was people who didn't think the Jets could be three and three with Aaron Rodgers with how their first six games looked. And obviously, from the outside looking in before the year starts, everything is speculation. And the reality of the NFL each year is always different than what's expected on paper before it begins. That said, the Bills are still a really good team. The Chiefs are still a really good team, although that wasn't a win. It was very, very close, a lot closer than a lot of other good teams play the Chiefs. The Philadelphia Eagles were undefeated. They had the number two offense in the NFL going into this this game. Their defense was number two or number one in pressures uh, on their defensive line. They were the number two rushing defense in the NFL. They were a good team statistically. They may not have been the dominant world beaters they looked like the year before of a team that was close to winning a Super Bowl, but that doesn't mean this team was bad. I know there was the narrative that they were vulnerable, and I feel like that's going to be the the takeaway from this game. As we saw, the Eagles weren't that good. They let teams hang around. They should be so much better. And yeah, a lot of that may be true. But when you look at their total statistics, it doesn't necessarily reflect that same narrative. The Jets beat a really, really, really good Eagles team that was undefeated and hung with them for the entirety of the game and made the plays when it counted at the end of the game repeatedly to outlast them and get the victory. They took the defending world champion Kansas City Chiefs down to the wire. And if not for some insane late game shenanigans for a lot of different reasons, there's a chance that they end up knocking off the Chiefs in prime time, knocking off the defending Super Bowl champions. You beat the Buffalo Bills, the AFC East champion the year before, AFC championship team in prime time without Aaron Rodgers after four plays. This team has the grit and the resolve and the belief that they can hang with anybody and it doesn't ever waver. Down 17, nothing to Kansas City, don't care. Down, I believe they were down 14 to three at halftime to the Eagles. It, it was at least 10 points. I don't remember exactly how much, but at least a 10-point deficit at halftime to the Eagles this past week, and they never flinch. They never quit. They never get down. We saw so many Jets teams have that happen to them for years, regardless of who the coach was, where the second they were down by 10 points, it was over, and, and the boost started raining, and blood started raining from the skies on top of it, and it was a horrible, horrible day. That isn't the case anymore, and that's all the credit in the world to Sala and Ulbrich and Nathaniel Hackett on the offense and the entire staff for keeping this team together, for keeping the message the same and looking to keep everybody on track and keep their goals aligned. It's, it, it is a very, very admirable coaching job. And while we may have criticized Sala and more so I may have criticized Sala a few weeks ago over game management decisions, game management decisions and leading a team through a crisis of this magnitude to start the year and getting to where they are now at the bye week or two different situations, hats off to Sala for this coaching job because he deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know what? Not just the offense and defense. I think there needs to be a special special shout-out to the special teams uh, because they are... We're not even thinking about the special teams, which means they're doing great. <laughs> and they really are, whether it's field goals, Greg the Leg, he, I think he hit what five field goals, four field goals. It was a lot, and uh, it didn't it was, matter. I believe it was four, four. Yeah, four field goals, and having that reliability uh, in the kicking game is so valuable. That where we can get close, we know we have a great chance of scoring, no matter if we get it in the end zone or not. And it, we just haven't had that in years past. And then with punting. Uh, same. It was always been on the fringe of reliable, but not quite reliable. You had man who would have like a good punt here and there, but then shank after shank after shank. But now it's just like, oh, now we have more set, and everything's just coming up aces. You got balls inside the ten yard line routinely, 
you've got uh, return guys dropping the balls, and we're actually falling on the ball and getting a, getting a turnover. Whether our gunners are just flying up the field and making plays, uh, getting to the return men before they even get going. It, all these little things contribute, and contribute in a big way, because we're still not quite clicking the way that we really need to be on offense. We're getting close. There's definitely a lot of upside and a lot of things to be happy about, sure, but we're still not there. And to have at least the other two uh, units really stepping up and, and doing their job is really keeping this team in it. And once the offense catches up, good luck. Yeah, they really are you know, that close. Uh, I mean... Uh, we talked about it off air. I would love to see the difference in statistics between the first half Jets defense and the second half Jets defense, because I bet I, I'd be willing to wager the second half Jets defense is the best unit in the league and that no other defense plays nearly as well as they do overall in the second half of games when it's going to count the most. If the offense can get them to a point where they can be playing with a lead and they can be playing more free and do these exotic things that we talked about them benefiting from and take away the offense's chance to run the script that they want to run early in games, you could be looking at a really, really dangerous squad and a really, really dangerous unit. I I think that's got to be the next place we go is the red zone struggles again. It's awesome to have Greg Zerwine, like you mentioned, and I'm very glad that he is here and can be as consistent as he can be. But we got to get some touchdowns on the board. We got to start scoring some real points. You're not going to beat the Philadelphia, you're lucky you beat the Philadelphia Eagles scoring field four field goals. You're not going to do it again if you meet them in the Super Bowl. You're not going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs if you meet them in the AFC Championship. You're not going to beat them scoring field goals. You know, you are not going to beat the Miami Dolphins in a few weeks scoring field goals. If there's, there's just no way that's going to happen. They got to find ways to get better in the red zone because this offense can move the ball. It does a solid job of keeping drives alive. They do a a fairly solid job of explosive plays as the game goes on. Once teams can respect the run game, we've seen Zach be accurate down the field. We've seen him be willing to take some shots. We've seen what they can do off play action on first down. They hit a big one to Garrett Wilson against Denver. They had another shot backed up in their red zone. Garrett makes an incredible catch over the Eagles corner. uh, And that's a 30 yard gain. We've seen this team be explosive and get into the red zone. The problem is finishing. The first thing I think they need to change, and Matt, I want to get your opinions on on this too. I think they have to feature Zach's mobility more. They have to allow this guy to be a factor of their run game and a factor of the offense because there's nothing wrong with trying to run the ball on early downs in the red zone. I'm I'm not a person that's against that. I think you you have to play it safe. Turning the ball over in the red zone is is a a death sentence for a lot of teams. And if you can have the ability to create yardage in the run game, I think you should try it. I also think you can find a way to get some some free yards because I don't think defenses are going to expect a a read option and they're going to chase after Brees Hall right away thinking, oh, Brees Hall's going to get the ball. Why wouldn't he get the ball? And Zach's going to have a free run to the edge and just outrun a linebacker from however many yards away. I think you can pick up some chunk plays, especially in the short red zone, finding ways to get in and score using this kid's mobility because you have to find another factor for defenses to worry about because right now when the jets get in the red zone they worry about shots to garrett wilson and they worry about Brees hall getting touches that's it they have to do something else yeah i I agree um it also just seems like there's a lot of caution uh whether it's between the coaches uh or, or zach or maybe all of the above it seems like as soon as they get into that gold zone as they like to call it they just get scared and the brakes just get put on and they get very conservative and you almost know exactly what they're going to do. Like you said, they either force the ball to the Wilson uh, or run it with Hall. Uh, so it's, it's, it's getting predictable and teams are able to key in on these things and learn to stop it. And if we don't do anything different, then they're just going to keep doing the same thing and they're going to keep stopping it. Um, so you got to get a little creative here. 
you say running with Zach. Um, I'd like to mix that in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I do get a little worried with running with Zach because Zach has a has a long history with with injuries. So uh, keeping, I know he also you can't has a really... long history of making wildly athletic runs that you wouldn't expect he'd be capable of making. So exactly. It, but at the same time, you can't pl- you can't play scared, right? We have Zach. Yeah. He is a weapon in the run game. So use him for sure. Spread him out. Have him just run right up the middle on on these guys. And I believe that that's one way. I want to get the speed in the game. I want to start using a lot more jet motion, jet sweeps with uh with Gibson, uh or or. Anybody else? Maybe even with uh, with with Wilson, give it to uh, Brees, or even Brees. Just I stretch the defenses out a little bit, and just give them another little wrinkle to have to think about, just so they're not doing the same thing over and over again. And there's options for sure between running it with with Zach or you know just getting a little creative, but. There's there's ways to do it, and I hope that there's there that uh, that uh, they're in in the their little dark room right now, just kind of scheming up some some really creative stuff for after the buy. Yeah, I'd love to see more some more jet sweeps, some more motions, some more touches for the guys like Xavier Gibson and Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall. Uh, I think that would be a help. I think moving Zach and letting him use his leg to be a help. Another point that I have to make, Matt, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but I think a part of their red zone struggles is Zach Wilson himself. At least a couple of times that I've seen, there was a play in the Denver Broncos game where it was third and long. They're in the red zone. They're trying to take a shot to Garrett Wilson, who's running a corner route in the left corner of the end zone against Pat Sertain. And Wilson seems to overthrow him and miss it. And it wasn't the most perfect route at the end by Garrett. I think he could have come out with a little more speed and try to really race to that corner and give Zach an ability to throw the ball on the line. Either way, I think the bigger issue is CJ Uzama's running a seam route. Uh, it's cover three from the Broncos. Safety is cheating completely to the left towards Garrett Wilson. And Uzama's running, a, I believe it was a stick and nod, uh, ultimately into the right seam, and is completely and totally wide open for a touchdown. And Zach never even looks at him. It never See, even turns his head. But was that, I feel like there was design like that. Like, they, like that was just a one-read uh, shot to Wilson the entire time. And it certainly might have been, but this is my point, and this is my issue with it, is... You can't as a quarterback. And yes, the improvement from Zach that we've seen has been encouraging. And yes, he has been rounding a corner and he is not in a position to where we are now worried of him completely and totally throwing away the game. He, in fact, is doing things and making plays to help them win more often than he is outright costing them the game. That is a huge improvement. There is reason to be excited, but he's too robotic in the offense. He's too locked into this is my read this is my progression i'm going to follow my progression i'm going to be on time my footwork's going to be clean my mechanics are going to be clean i'm going to trust my eyes and it's all of this like i have to be so good within structure that he misses opportunities to make big plays outside of structure not and by when i say that i don't mean breaking a pocket and running around and when a play you know isn't there anymore i mean going against your first read seeing something on the field that gives you an indicator of what's going to happen. It's third and long. Garrett Wilson's your number one target. The Broncos play cover three sky with their corners nine yards back more than any team in the league. It's not even a a competition or a question. They are the easiest defense to figure out in the NFL right now, which is why they've given up so many yards in regardless of what facet they try and do. It's because every team knows what they're going to do. And any NFL offense since the Seahawks in 2013 took over the league knows that if you are going against a cover three sky defense, a good way to beat it is to put players in multiple parts of the seams and take the seam that the safety isn't cheating towards. Well, the Broncos free safety, I believe was Justin Simmons on this play. He is completely and totally on the left hash shading towards Garrett Wilson. He has all of his attention towards Garrett Wilson. And if you are Zach Wilson and you are the quarterback, you have to know, okay, yes, Garrett's my first read. Yes, I want to get him the ball. Yes, I want to trust him and give him an opportunity to make a play. But he's got Pat Sertain on him, who's a pretty good corner. 
He's got a safety who's cheating that way and giving Pat Sertan an opportunity to play with outside leverage and catch this corner route that I know Garrett is running and basically expect Garrett to run this corner into Pat Sertan's leverage and win. Or I know I have Uzama who's on a stick and nod who's going to get behind the linebacker because the Denver linebackers are terrible and they're not going to understand this is a nod route and, and cover it down the seam. And I'm going to have Uzama going into the right seam. The safety is going to be completely and totally preoccupied with Garrett. And if I just look at Garrett for half a count, come back to my right and hit Uzama, it's a wide open touchdown. That's what Aaron Rodgers does. That's what Brady did. That's what Mahomes does. That's what Kirk Cousins does. That's what Jared Goff does. That's what above average NFL quarterbacks do. You don't have to be elite superstar, whatever. That's what quarterbacks who survive and play in the league for a long time are capable of doing and seeing and know how to work outside the structure of their play call to where they can say, screw my first read. I know this is a better one and it's going to be a touchdown. When you don't even look, when you stay robotic and you have every sign of the defense saying, we need to go a different way and we need to adjust what we're doing and we can't throw this to Garrett Wilson, even though we trust him, even though he could still make a crazy play anyway, that it's not the highest percentage opportunity look we have. And we have Uzama wide, completely wide open at the front of the end zone for a walk-in touchdown where no one's even going to sniff his cologne. You have to be able to go above your process and trust your, your eyes and your ability to read as a quarterback. And I'm just, I'm a little worried that right now, and I saw this again more in the Eagles game, he is too focused on executing the play that's called rather than reading the defense pre and post snap and making the best decision based on that given play, not mm-hmm. just what he's told should work on that given play. See, but here's the thing. Zach can do it and he does do it. Just not when we're at risk of, of losing a score because we've seen him in two point conversion scenarios and he looks like very calm, very free to improvise and to, to kind of be the quarterback that you just mentioned that we want to see in just when he's in the red zone, he's doing it. So it, I think it's just a matter of doing it when we're still trying to get a score when it's on the line, because that uh, the fact that we that we can see it, no, we know that he can do it. So it's just a matter of putting it into practice, and just somebody just getting in his ear, whether it's Rogers or, or or Hackett, just be like, "Hey, man, just have fun." Like we're in the end zone, we're in the red zone right now. You have a chance to to really show something here. All you got to do, just be free, just be you, be the the star that we know that you could be the star that we drafted the kid with the legs, the kid with the cannon arm. He still has all these things. Just be free. Yeah. I think that'll help. And I also think there needs to be another part of the message that I know for a fact, Michael floor didn't, didn't give him. And I really hope Nathaniel Hackett, you know, does you have to, as an offensive coordinator, be able to go to your quarterback and say, sometimes you have to make me right. Sometimes I'm going to call a bad play. Sometimes I'm going to think this is going to work against this look and the defense is going to know and do some adjustment and they're going to take it away. And you have to be able to make me right and adjust on the fly and find a better look yourself. That's what being a pro quarterback is. That's how you become a great player. That's how you stick around in the league. That's how you you can see these guys that can play in different styles of offenses and with different receivers and you know offensive linemen and whatever else rotates around them and they continue to be great because they're able to go above their play calling and identify matchups and make plays when it matters. If Nathaniel Hackett can go to Zach Wilson and say, look, I still want you to trust your progressions. I still want you to trust the play as it's called and, and don't completely and totally freelance. But if you know Garrett's your first read and you see that safety is completely and totally cheating and Pat Sertain's capping on top of them, and you know it's going to be a tough play, you don't have to make that read. You can trust your own eyes. You can trust yourself. You can trust your ability and you can look somewhere else. And if Nathaniel Hackett isn't the person telling him that, then Aaron Rodgers better be because you have to break this mindset that was installed in Zach from when he first got to New York, when Michael Floor told him, 
don't worry about the defense. Trust my progressions and somebody will be open. As long as you're on time, as long as you just get to the right man and get to the check down early enough, as long as you can see, okay, it's not there, one to two to three check down, as long as you can do that, you don't got to worry about the defense. You don't got to worry about what they're trying to do. You don't got to worry about matchups. Just run my play and everything will be fine. You can't survive playing quarterback like that unless you're playing for Bill Walsh, Kyle Shanahan, Don Shula, you know, whoever else you can think of the greatest offensive minds in the history of the sport. You know, maybe, maybe for a period of time, Dan Fouts could play that way under Don Coriel, but even Dan Fouts had to make some of his own place himself. You can't just be a quarterback trusting your offensive coordinator to make the right call for you every single time. You have to be able to save their butt sometimes too. It's true. He's got to be able to do that. And that's the only way forward. Uh, is to improve on these things that we mentioned. And he, the sky's the limit if he can. And we, like I said before, we know he can do these things. It's just a matter of actually doing it. So hopefully they, they, they work on this during the break. I think Rogers being back with the team has helped a lot. Uh, you already know that his voice is in everybody's head and on the sidelines. and. He's going up to hack and like, hey, this play, throw it out. Let's do this. Let's try this. They're showing this. Let's do that. They're all jumping on Wilson. All right, why don't we use Wilson to clear out some defenders? And then, boom, we got CJ or, or Conklin or anybody else. It's Everything's kind of there in place to get the results that we're looking for. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it makes me think of this clip from the Jets Chiefs game. Uh, it was a uh, mic'd up. I, I don't remember if it was the NFL or the Jets source that was posting it, but it was a clip of Zach Wilson and Rob Calabrese, the quarterback coach, on the sideline after it was uh, Wilson threw the touchdown to Lazard to, I believe, get them in range to tie the game. If uh, if not, it was their first second half touchdown. Um, one of his touchdown passes to bring them close to tying the Chiefs, eventually tying the Chiefs and putting up a fight to try and win. And it's Calabrese and Wilson on the sideline. And Calabrese is saying, we never practiced that read all week. We never even talked about that read all week. And you made it and you knew that like you went above and you found it yourself and you got there. That's what I'm freaking talking about. That's playing quarterback. We, we know he can do it. They just need to be in his ear to do it all the time. They just need to be in his ear to do it more because I don't know about you, Matt, but I haven't seen Zach Wilson make a, a horrendously terrible decision throwing the football down the field in, in a while now. There's a couple yeah. of close ones. There's some, some times when you might be pressing, but there hasn't really been a time when I've been sitting here going, what are you doing? Why are you throwing that? You have somebody else wide open right in front of you. When he's forcing passes, it's because there's nobody else open. It, it's because that's his best chance to try and get a completion. He's not for the most part outside of these times in the red zone, passing up open players or missing open players to find, you know, whatever matchups that he might may want beforehand. I think they really got to reinforce in this kid, trust your eyes, trust your ability, trust your reads and trust what you feel and what you see. And if you think you might be more right than us on this play, give it a shot. And if you're not, then tell us why you thought that and why you got fooled. And we'll go forward and correct it. I just, I, they're, they're so close to being a complete team despite not having Aaron Rodgers that it's, it's almost crazy to think about. And, and this bye week really is going to be a, a huge chance to get right. Matt, what do you think is the first thing they have to handle over this bye week? Oh, uh, I was just looking at uh, two stats from, from Zach, and I, I think that'll feed into the first thing that needs to change uh, is turnover worthy passes. He had zero against the Eagles. But then there's the other stat. Big time throws. He also had zero of those. So I think it, during the break, they really need to just work on taking more chances downfield. I want to see more downfield to, to Lazard. I want to see more downfield to the tight ends in the seam. I just want to see more downfield in general. And I think Zach is starting to click a little bit more. The, he he hit on that that deep nine round I believe it was the the Wilson, uh, and he's he's getting closer and closer. I, I feel like before he was either overthrowing or underthrowing, 
but now he seems to be getting in stride or even throwing it out of bounds. And I just want to see him grow confident in doing that in the deep or inter- in the, the intermediate stuff because he's gotten a lot better with the short stuff. If it's thrown to the flats uh, or even screens, he's not dirting the balls. He's not overthrowing. They seem he seems to have that down pat. Now let's work on the the more uh, detailed stuff, the more the harder stuff downfield. And if he can start to hit on those a lot more, then that opens up the offense to places that we only imagined with Rodgers. Yeah, they've gotten really close a lot. Uh, of hitting those deep shots. They had a deep ball to Garrett up the right sideline against Kansas City that Zach barely overthrows. And, you know, Garrett's a a step and a half away from a a walk-in touchdown. You had the play to Lazard earlier in that same game where Lazard made an incredible adjustment to be able to locate the ball, fall backwards, dive in the air, box out the defender, and make a catch. But he's wide the hell open on the out and up up the sideline. And if Zach doesn't underthrow it, it's it's another walk-in touchdown. You know, we've seen whole shots to Garrett uh, against Denver that are just nearly incompleted. We saw one against Philadelphia that was a big play, but even still, in my opinion, the ball was slightly underthrown and Garrett had to make an incredible catch over an Eagles defender's helmet to, to come down with the ball. They're taking their shots. They're, they're putting it in. They're just so close to hitting it. It's really about dialing in the accuracy, dialing in the timing, dialing in the protection up front to give Zach time to, to make these reasons, let these guys get down the field but I agree. They have to keep emphasizing it. They have to keep trying. They have to be able to generate explosive plays in the past game, because if all you can get out of Zach Wilson, which I can't even believe after all of the months of the off season and the summer, Aaron Rodgers even saying this, if all you can get out of Zach Wilson is making him a game manager, then why'd you draft him second overall because of his talent? Then, then why is that? Why is that your focus? You need to let this kid be who he is. You need to let him air it out. We've seen him do it in other capacities. We've seen him hit some of these deep shots. We've seen him identify leverage to Conklin on back shoulders and Ruckert on back shoulders against Kansas City. You know, we've seen we've seen him be able to do it. It's just got to be that consistency. I, I think that's a huge part. For me, the number one thing I just want to see in any capacity out of this team over this week, just get healthy somewhat. Get yeah. healthy. Get get your guys back that you can get back. Let's get Sauce back in the building. Let's get DJ Reed back in the building. Let's let get them back practicing. Let's see the severity of Tittman's injury. I know Sala said it's probably going to be a while. Well, let's find out how long a while is. You know, let's let's get some of these other players that are hurt back into the building, back into shape, back into you know fighting spirits. Get some sort of continuity on this offensive line. And just get everybody ready to go when you play the uh, New York Giants a couple of weeks from now. Just the injury bug is they're they're finding a way to power through despite it, but it's not going to just go away and and magically fix itself if they don't really put a focus on it. And it could still be a huge issue. So please just get healthy. On that note, uh, I have an interesting question. Uh, speaking of guys getting healthy, it seems like Brown is almost back and i i don't want becton moving back to right tackle i think that would be a huge mistake to put him back on the right side he has really come into his own at left tackle and not only that i think lakin has come into his own with becton next to him i think the two of them together have really harmonized and they're really just working well off of each other so I would not disrupt that at all by putting Brown back at left tackle. But would you switch things up at right tackle? I, I know Brown has never played right tackle, and to really do that to him at this point in his career might not be fair. But would you prefer him over Mac? No. No, my personal opinion in that is that Dwayne Brown should have retired this offseason. <laughs> And and that as as sad as it is to say for a guy who had an incredible career could make an argument for the Hall of Fame, probably not first ballot. But when you look at the longevity, when you look at the talent hidden on a Houston Texans team that was up and down and good and bad and and not always the center of attention goes to Seattle, plays really good football up there, too. I mean, the guy's a great player and he's had a great career. It's just time. 
it's just age injuries. It's all caught up to him. He just, he doesn't look physically even, and I understand playing through injuries makes that harder, but he just doesn't quite look as physically capable as he was. And you got to find out if Max Mitchell's worth keeping on your roster. So I think you keep Max Mitchell in the lineup until he shows you that he is so bad that you can't afford to. And then you force Dwayne Brown to go start at right tackle and make him switch. But until then, he's Max Mitchell's backup or Makai Becton's backup or however you want to shake it out. I don't think he needs to get back into the lineup. I don't think he needs to go and immediately jump to right tackle because if Max Mitchell can survive, then great. That's a guy you're going to keep on your roster. Dwayne Brown, regardless of what happens, is not going to be a Jet next year, and that is okay. We don't have to keep him on the team and take reps away from guys who might be. I completely agree. Uh, If he's not going to retire now, I would definitely just have him as our primary left tackle backup uh, for Becton. And yeah, just let the youth on the right side kind of you know, lead the way, whether it's Max, whether he comes into his own, uh, or even Carter Warren, because I, I believe uh, he was brought uh, brought up. Uh, he was on, was he on the pup list or, or IR? I believe I'm, I'm, he was I'm, on, I believe he was on IR. Yeah. So he's back now. So there's some options there on the right side uh, when it comes to the youth. And that's kind of where I would stick as well. Just ride or die with those guys. Let's not get too crazy and move Brown to the right side uh, and have him play a position he's never played before. Let's do. Let's use what we have, and I think it'll be decent enough where we can survive. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I completely and totally agree. What's next for you, Matt? What's the uh, next item to cross off the bye week wish list? Well, then I think it's to maybe do some trading uh, because. We saw Nicole Hardman uh, get traded today to the back to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I would start exploring what's out there in terms of maybe wide receiver or offensive line. Uh, our in our interior offensive line right now is looking pretty scant, and that's kind of worrisome. If there's an injury to, to anybody on the inside, I don't even know who would would be in there. <laughs> So I would start exploring the the trade market for an inside uh, an offensive lineman, and uh, I don't know what teams are that flush with offensive linemen, where none of them. they're able to spare them. Uh, I there's already a shortage of great offensive linemen in this league, uh, so that would be hard pressed for JD to find. Um, but I would still scour the earth for one. Maybe there's something that that's out there that we could jump on Um, or even a wide receiver to really kind of bolster that unit. Uh, When Wilson went down for a little bit in this last game, it terrified me. It was like, uh, we have nothing. We've got Lazard and a bunch of tight ends. That's it. I don't feel comfortable with this, especially with the way that Wilson plays. He throws it all on the line and him getting little nicks and bruises throughout the the year are going to happen and he's going to miss some time. So I think we absolutely need to bolster that unit. Uh, Some names that are out there under Renfro, Judy, Sutton, uh, even Devontae Adams. I would definitely dip my toes in that market, see who we can bring in uh, and really just kind of make that unit a little bit more solidified. Yeah, I I agree. Um, They're going to have a tough time finding a quality offensive lineman to trade for. I I mean, quality offensive lineman in the NFL is is like water in the desert. (laughs) I mean, it's it's a commodity. You don't just you don't just give that away. It doesn't mean they shouldn't try doesn't mean they shouldn't make some calls and see what's available and do some patented Joe Douglas due diligence, but, but I'm not holding my breath uh, on any good offensive lineman that's going to walk in the door on it via trade and come in and start that. That seems unlikely to me. I think wide receiver is a better possibility. Um, there's only one guy I think they should target and it's Jerry Judy. 
Uh, Devontae Adams would be awesome. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to pretend like he wouldn't make a major impact, but good grief, he is making a lot of money. And that is a lot of a contract to absorb and a lot higher of a price to pay to get this guy onto the team. And while he would make a major impact, I feel like for what they need right now to get through this season, to keep their playoff hopes alive, to stay afloat, to where at once, you know, Rodgers is not here, no one's expecting them to be hoisting the Lombardi at the end of this season. They're just trying to get themselves into the playoffs, show they can be competitive, show they have a complete team, show improvement from Zach Wilson and be ready for Rodgers' return in 2024. For what they need right now for this year, I think they need someone who can separate. They need someone with some vertical speed that can threaten defenses. They need somebody to get open and not just be the guy that only gets open against zone, that can win man coverage, that isn't the bigger box you out kind of receiver and isn't 38 or 39 years old like Randall Cobb. I think it's Jerry Judy. I don't really think there's anybody else we need to bother talking about. The only problem with Judy is I feel like he's he's been hurt a lot <laughs> over the last couple of years. So the injury risk there for kind of worries me. Unless the price that we pay for him factors that in. Um, I, I, I would be a little too worried. That's why I kind of went Sutton. I think that he would allow us to maybe even kick Lazard inside. Uh, a lot more and since we got rid of uh, Harmon and I don't really like the idea of Cobb being out on the field at all. I would do more uh, Lazard inside or even more Garrett Wilson on the inside. And I believe a guy like Sutton would allow them to do that and also help in the run game because having him and Lazard out there would kind of give us a lot of the what we expected with uh, Corey Davis and him out there on those packages where they can kind of just square up with defensive backs and pave the way for for a Hall touchdown. Uh, so I kind of lean more that way I, when it comes to just health and what he can do for the run game and the pass game. Yeah, I mean, you make a convincing argument. Uh, I don't disagree with anything that you said. Um having another featured run game receiver to the perimeter to get Brees to the edge and give him the ability to do what he does is, is not a bad thing. Having a guy that can play on the outside and allow Garrett to get more reps on the inside, where we've talked about for a long time now is, is how dangerous he can be from the slot. And that's not a knock on Garrett as a receiver whatsoever. It's a way to create explosive plays and who cares where he lines up if he's cooking people, you know, that's, that's something we've definitely mentioned. I'm not against any of that. I'm just looking at this from if you are going to spend draft picks that you don't really have on a wide receiver, what do you want that wide receiver to do? And for me, it's create separation, win against man coverage and threaten vertically. And I don't think Cortland Sutton does those things nearly as well as Jerry Judy does. The injury risk is a concern. I'm not going to disagree with that at all. And it's definitely a question and could, like you said, factor into the price. Realistically, I think you could have either of these guys for a third round pick. I don't think that with the way the Broncos are, with the way their roster is constructed, with with their record, with their GM and their head coach having some amount of a friction, you know, there's it's possible that they could be in line for a fire sale and that you may be able to get guys a little bit cheaper than you normally would. I could see a third round pick for Jerry Judy. I could see a third round pick or a fourth round pick for Cortland Sutton. And it not be the most ridiculous, crazy, you know, egregious price. Devontae Adams, I think you're going to have to pay a first at least, or like a really, really high two that you may not have either. And with the money you're going to pay, I just don't know if that makes sense. Between Judy and Sutton, I think Judy's the better fit, but I could completely understand Sutton if that's the way they go. Fortunately, they're on Denver, <laughs> and the the Denver... Uh, uh... Might might lose our number because there's definitely been a lot of friction between our two teams uh, this this off season. Um, so they they might ask for a little bit more when it comes to us making an offer. Uh, if, if another team makes a, a similar offer, I bet you they would probably go with them rather than us. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the hard part, and it's and it's a double whammy because both of those guys already know Nathaniel Hackett's offense, which would make it even better of an idea. So it's it's like a, a, a double edged sword where 
these guys would have a, an easy ramp up because they were just in this system. They've just been around Hackett. They're used to him. They know his coaching style. Hopefully, like the players that we saw in the Broncos come out and support Hackett. Hopefully, they don't have any ill will towards him. But from the Denver front office perspective and brain trust I, uh, perspective, you're right, Matt. They may they may want to lose the Jets number and not have any involvement. Um, I don't. I think it would be great for them to trade for a receiver. I just don't know if they're going to have anybody to trade for that's going to make enough of an impact to be worth doing or not cost an arm and a leg and be overpaying to fix a problem that is a problem but doesn't need that big of an expensive of a fix right at this moment. I don't know how you feel, but but I feel like this could be this could end up being a desperation move that maybe doesn't end well uh, when all is said and done. Yeah, I don't really see uh uh, any really big moves happening. Uh, I think that when it comes to our draft capital uh, and when it comes to players that we maybe want to re-sign, I think JD kind of wants to hold on to these assets uh, and really spend it on homegrown guys and really build that way and not really splurge on a Devontae Adams or uh, anybody else that would cost a lot of money. I, I see us just getting by with what we have and making good of it. Yeah, I, I think the answer to this problem is get Xavier Gibson more snaps. Yeah, let's see what we have in our in our undrafted free agents. Give, give Jason Brownlee a shot. He yeah. made your roster. He's barely played. Randall Cobb's out-snapped him by, by Lord knows how many on offense, but he made your roster as a UDFA, as a rookie. I mean, give him an opportunity. Is is Randall Cobb that important to this team? And is and if and if this is Nathaniel Hackett making this decision, then that's a a worry. If this is Aaron Rodgers making that decision from the sidelines, that's bigger a worry. Bigger, that's an even bigger <laughs> worry. Exactly. So either way, they have other guys that they can get an opportunity to to get on the field and give them a shot. And if it's still not working, at least you tried. It, you know, you can, you can go back and and go to the guys you know and trust at that point if if it doesn't work, but give it an opportunity to work. Um, last topic of business, I personally want to see them get crossed off over this bye week. Please, Joe Douglas, for the love of everything that is good and holy, extend Bryce Huff. Yes, please. Oh my God, yes. I mean, I hope he's been working on this already behind the scenes since before the the season even started. But last year was not an anomaly. This guy is the real deal. He is going to be near the top of the league in pass rush efficiency uh, year in and year out going forward. And Lawson, hopefully we can get him off the books uh, because I would much rather put that money in a guy like Huff. Uh, yeah, no, I, I 110%. Um, per, I just want to do some personal, um, call it what it is, victory lapping. Uh, <laughs> On the show real quick, Matt, do you remember in the infancy of this show during the Jets' first season under Robert Sala when they had their first win uh, under that regime against the Tennessee Titans and Bryce Huff put on a, a show in that game to really help out and I believe sealed it at the end with a sack? Um, I remember saying and, and knowing it was way too high of praise, but seeing what I was seeing with my eyes and seeing the similarities and trusting it, I said he bends like Dwight Freeney. And, oh, yeah. and all he's done is just do that over and over since then. I, I mean, this guy is... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was blown away that he was undrafted. Uh, I, I saw that explosion out of him from Memphis, and, and it, it was abundantly clear then what his potential could be as a speed rusher. Uh, and the fact that he's kind of come a long way when it comes to run defense as well, just kind of shows that he's putting in the work to not be stagnant, to get better, to be more of a three-down defender. And yeah, it all started back then <laughs> on Memphis and the potential that we both saw. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this guy. I think he's, he deserves to be a, a if not a starter then one of the top three in their rotation or top two in their rotation 
uh, he's just too good to keep off the field. And like you said, he's becoming more of a complete player. His run defense has gotten better. He can win with power. He's not just a speed rusher. He, we've seen him be dangerous with bull rushes. We've seen him fake to the outside and fake speed and get under people's tackles and, and win with an inside counter. You know, we've seen him get blocked and lower his pads and get underneath people and drive through blocks and get sacks. He is not just a one trick pony and you don't, lead the NFL in pressures and rate of pressure and that with the gap in lead that he is with, with just one move, it doesn't matter who you are in the league. You're never going to be able to win with just one move. We've seen him really grow and add to his game while still having that elite calling card of, I can bend at a 45 degree ankle and put my hips and my ankles practically sideways and be three and a half feet off the ground. And you as the six, six offensive tackle are going to bend, have to bend all the way down here and get your hands on me to block me and be way too far out over your toes and you can't do it. And I'm going around you. That, that is a rare, rare trait. It, it is a trait that deserves to be paid. And I really hope that Douglas gets this bye week in order and, and gives the rest of the locker room something to celebrate and, and show as an example to say, you come in here, you work your butts off, you do things the right way, you will get rewarded. If they let this guy out of the building, it's going to be one of the worst mistakes they've made in a long time. It really would be. I, I pray they get this done uh, more so than I was wanting them to get uh, Q done. I think getting Huff in the building for a good three to four years lockdown is essential for the the success that this team has going forward. Uh, it it has to be. Uh, it absolutely has to be for as much as. As we're Jermaine Johnson fans on this show, we, we still are waiting to see the consistency as a rusher. Will McDonald's barely getting on the field. Carl Lawson's been a healthy scratch. JFM still does some good work here and then, but he doesn't get as many third and long opportunities to really rush and has to do a lot of his winning in different ways. They're, he's really their only elite dangerous edge pass rusher. I mean, that we can truly sit here and say, this is a guy that you have to be terrified of, regardless of what team they're playing, regardless of who your offensive tackle is, regardless of anything else. This is a guy that can wreck a game. It's Bryce Huff on their defensive line, and it's Quinn and Williams on their defensive line. They paid Quinn and Williams. Now it's Bryce Huster. Absolutely. All right, Matt, anything else to add for this bye week? Or you think we can wrap this one up, call it a week? I think we can wrap it up. You know, we... Went into the bye week with a win, feeling good. Uh, things are looking up. Let's uh, let's just you know, let's just smile and, and enjoy it. Yeah, three and three after week six. The 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 daunting slate of games to open the season is over, and the Jets are still alive. They're still surviving. They've done some pretty good work and had some pretty encouraging signs for the future. Schedule gets a little bit easier going forward. You got the New York Giants uh, coming out of the bye who are looking like one of the worst teams in football, as well as one of the most injured teams in football. You're going to have a, a whale of a time with the Miami Dolphins shortly after mm. that. But after Miami, you get teams like Houston, you get teams like Washington, you know, you get some easier games to, to stack some wins and position yourself for a playoff run to end the season. But it all starts this bye week. You can't let this energy fade. You can't let the, the emotions get too high. You can't get your, your sight set too far ahead of you. You got to be in the moment. You got to be present. You got to take the opportunity to rest, take the opportunity to learn. And like we said a couple of weeks ago, coming out flat and coming out with no energy and, and not having the, the desire that you've shown when you're down 17, nothing to Kansas city or down by 10 points to Philadelphia. If that's gone, then that's going to be a really, really tough pill to swallow for the rest of the season. Considering that's kind of what happened last year, it would be really nice to see some improvement this year going forward. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't want them to come out flat against the Giants. We we played uh, kind of down to the, the level of New England. Uh, I want us to come out firing on all cylinders against the Giants. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, I mean, make the statement. Show that you're the better team in New York and prove that you deserve to be the predominant faces of that building and not the giants. I mean, this is your opportunity. You're never going to get a better one. Absolutely. All right. I think that does it. Appreciate everybody for tuning in, Matt, you know, the drill, uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy jets. 
And you can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening. And we will be back next week to preview the New York Giants game, officially look ahead, break down all the ins and outs on offense, defense, and what have you. So stay tuned for that. Appreciate you for tuning in and listening one more time. And we will be back. Bye-bye.